It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. I'm Zerlina Maxwell, and I'm here with author Brendan Burrell um, of The First Shot, The Epic Rivalries and Heroic Science Behind the Race to the Coronavirus Vaccine. I'm so excited to talk to you today because... um, Full disclosure, my dad is a biology professor. <laughs> um, and so the pandemic for me has been really, really different than for other people, I suppose, because I have someone here who I'm like, dad, what does this mean? What does that mean? Um, tell me, explain to me what mRNA means and I can have him explain it. Um, and I understand it because he's a teacher, um, but I'm grateful because I think so many other people need this this insight and, and all of this information into what went into creating, discovering, and getting us this vaccine. So thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. I think this this was definitely a year where a lot of people learned some terms that they weren't previously familiar with, right? <laughs> Antibodies. <laughs> oh, uh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. I was, well, I was, it was one of the first episodes. Um, I, I came down here to Virginia literally because he calls me one day and says, you need to leave New York. <laughs> like he calls me um, frantically, you know, before the shutdown, like weeks before the shutdown. Um, and he says, you need to leave Brooklyn. <laughs> and I was like, what do you, what, what do you mean? I need to leave. I don't understand what you're saying. Um, and he, he was like, you need to leave right now. And I was like, should I bring the cat? And he was like, you should bring the cat. <laughs> so I've been here in Virginia ever since. I have not left. I've just stayed here safe out of New York. Um, and, and one of the things that we talked about on like one of the very first episodes are some of the terms. So like when the scientists were first trying to turn their, you know, attention to coming up with this particular vaccine, um, they already sort of under, they already had the mRNA technology. Am I getting that right? So, so one of the first conversations we had on our show was, So what are the scientists doing now? Like, is everybody in the world pivoting like they did in Contagion? So give us a little bit of a window into what what was going on at that time. Yeah, I think, you know, in my book, the the clock starts with the first uh, patient in Wuhan uh, getting their their gene, the genome, the virus is extracted from their lungs and the genome is sequenced. And after a little bit of pushback from the Chinese government, it goes online. And this is like the the starting gun, January 10th, when scientists around the world are scrambling to sequence this, uh, to to analyze the sequence, to understand the virus and to produce a prototype vaccine. And so, you know, I mean, we've all sort of heard the stories like within two days, they had their design for the vaccine. It's like, wow, that's uh, really fast. Um, and, and yeah, I think what, what I talk about in the book is I describe these de- the decades of work that went into that. I mean, first you had, we're talking about the Moderna vaccine, you know, mm-hmm. this mRNA uh, technology that was developed, um, you know, this dream of can you, rather than producing a drug in a factory, you give, the, give a person mRNA and they produce the drug or vaccine themselves in their cells. Um, and that was that was many years in the works. And then there was specifically 
the uh, the coronavirus uh, technology that was developed in the National Institutes of Health. They had this idea about how do you create a vaccine for other kinds of coronaviruses because there was this other scary disease mm-hmm. um, called Middle East Respiratory Syndrome related to the new coronavirus that people were were concerned about. So I kind of so so we had all these tools in our toolbox. We just didn't know are they going to all work right now when we need them, um, and that was. <laughs> That was the next, uh, you know, eight months as they were testing the thing, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's so miraculous when you think about it. Um, and I think about a lot of times when people of faith are like, we need a miracle. And I'm like, we are, the miracle is the vaccine. If you mm. needed a sign from, from whatever thing you believe in, whatever thing that is, this is the sign. They figured this out. That is like quite exceptional. Um, in terms of when they realized that they needed this to work now, because we were like in the pandemic that everybody had predicted was coming eventually, um, how do they go from, you know, testing things on all types of viruses and, and coronaviruses and, you know, doing the normal research they do to doing a targeted, um, plan towards achieving a corona COVID-19 vaccine you know, for SARS-CoV-2 technically. Um, how do how does that work? Like does everybody like get the same spreadsheet? Like what you know what I mean? Like what what does the mechanics of that look like when you're talking about the whole world of scientists um, and so many different institutions within governments and it's such a and pharmaceutical it's such a massive um, universe, but everybody was targeted towards the same goal. Yeah, I, I mean, this, it was an unprecedented situation. Uh, so, so one of the things uh, that, that I learned about when I was, was researching this is, you know, may, the, this is what's known as an emerging infectious disease, something that spills over from the animal world and breaks out somewhere and then, you know, s- spreads across across the world and most of the time these things like ebola or something they're they're really scary at first they start infecting lots of people and then they disappear again and so pharmaceutical companies actually have never been that into funding vaccines for these things because number one it's hard to test something that vanishes by the time you have your your prototype Mm -hmm. and number two uh you're not gonna have anybody to sell it to (laughs) So, uh, you know, so, so much of the work on all these, uh, you know, strange, unlikely, scary diseases happens in like academic laboratories at universities and the government, you know, where people get, you know, they're working on small grants, they're just doing little studies, but it's, they don't have sort of the, the on-ramp to actually take it all the way to product to make it an actual drug. They're just kind of doing the basic research. And that's, kind of what was happening with coronaviruses. I talked to one guy um, at the University of Maryland who in January, 2020, he was on the verge of shutting down his lab. He hadn't gotten any grants. People, you know, nobody wanted to fund coronavirus research. Um, And so, you know, it's like uh, he he didn't know what he was going to do. And then now, I I mean, just to to fast forward, now he's got got an endowed professorship or something. (laughs) So he's doing great. but, but then, you know, what, what you're talking about here is, yes, everybody's sort of working on something that, you know, scientists follow their curiosity. Okay, so they are, they, they have their ideas that they're, they're, 
they're pursuing. And then suddenly we have to focus. Uh, okay, this is a threat. It's getting to be a big threat. And everybody, you know, I think everybody wanted to contribute their knowledge towards this, um, towards developing a vaccine. And mm-hmm. some, some of the players here, they had partnerships already with certain pharmaceutical companies. The National Institutes of Health had been working with Moderna. Um, Johnson & Johnson had been working with another uh, vaccine maker in Boston. And so there was kind of this process of handing off the technology, getting it into uh, you know, the, the machinery of the pharmaceutical right. world, getting it into the, the big, big batches. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I mean, yeah, that, that, that's kind of what we, we saw happen over the course of a rapid, rapid timeline. It's sort of crazy to think about how it probably was pretty chaotic. Um, but then you also have the added element of the government. So you have the pharma industry, you have scientists being like, okay, we're all turning our attention here. We're gonna partner up with the pharmaceutical industry because obviously the scale of this needs to be global. You know, everybody's gonna need this. Um, but then you had the Trump administration and you had certain officials within HHS sort of with agendas. Can you talk a bit about what happened when sort of the science and the pharma, they're like, Eureka, woo, we got it. Um, came into like it collided with sort of the political environment at the time with folks like Alex Azar and others who they all have agendas within sort of that Trump orbit. Yeah, I mean, the the dynamics in the Trump White House and the administration are a big part of my book, actually. Um, It was something I'm not a political writer. Let's just Mm -hmm. put it that way. I'm very naive. I certainly, uh, you know, was always watching what was happening over there in Washington. And but to work on this book, I had to get into it. I needed yeah. to. And I, I think like everybody else, I was watching with horror about how unprepared it felt our country was. Um, and uh, kind of in, in March and April, uh, there was uh, this there was a lot of chaos in the, in the scientific world, too, about like, oh, what do we need to do for this? Um, and the, even the vaccine makers weren't sure how much money they wanted to invest. Um, you, and and, and what, what happens with the creation of Operation Warp Speed was that that sort of emerged from conversations, some actual administ- Trump administration insiders. Well, I, I actually call them outsiders because they were kind of outcasts. Okay. So like one of my heroes is Bob Cadlick, and he's just mm-hmm. uh, this uh, middle-aged former Air Force doctor um, who'd been in the intelligence community and he ran this tiny little office called the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response, uh, with kind of a mouthful, I know, <laughs> this bureaucratic <laughs> know. stuff. But this was like this, This compared to the CDC, which has like 10,000 people, Cadillac's office has like 800. And he was, he became in the early days of the pandemic, kind of this this hated figure because you know, he was the he was the point man for the cruise ship evacuations mm-hmm. in Japan. You remember that? Yep. Yep. And um, and there were just there were just a lot of instances when when people were sort of saying, oh, this is the Trump administration's failing and it's all Cadillac's fault. <laughs> I kind of <laughs> got the impression that pretty much anybody would have a tough time in that job. And he is was a dedicated public servant and he sort of starts working with a, a friend of his over at the FDA to come up with the blueprints for warp speed. And the idea is like, we're gonna 
turbocharge this uh, process by giving companies billions of dollars, which is first off antithetical to the conservative worldview, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. like, it's like, this is Operation Warp Speed is big government at its right, biggest, right. you know? Um, <laughs> and so the, in the book, I mean, there are like these, the, the, this conflict between their, their, whatever their, their philosophy is and the fact that they're going to actually have to pony up some money. And, uh, and so it was a warp speed was let's give the companies a bunch of money um, so that they can start manufacturing vaccine before it's been proven effective. And number two, we're going to set up this a process to really sort of hold the hands of the smaller companies like Moderna and get them through clinical trials in a way that we think is going to be most beneficial to the American people, make sure they're measuring the things we think they should measure. Because like, part, you know, pharmaceutical companies, they have one goal. Um, yeah. certainly they want a successful vaccine like we do. They want to end the pandemic and they want to make a lot of money and they want to do it very fast. Um, the government's like, well, we're paying for all of this. So we yeah. want to make sure we're getting all the data we want so that we, you know, we can, we can make sure our whole portfolio of other vaccines, uh, is successful. And so there, there's a lot of kind of push and pull mm. about that. Um, and that's, that's really, yeah. How, how warp speed developed and it, of course, became this this political thing because it was under the Trump administration. It became kind of a, uh, it, I, I found it, it was kind of cocooned from from some of the interference, but it also became this thing that that could be used, number one, to, to you know, further, potentially further Trump's election prospects. He was always mm-hmm. like yelling at the FDA and, mm-hmm. and many people didn't like the name warp speed because they thought it meant the vaccines were going to be rushed. So, there, so there's all, all of that that goes on around it. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so it was a pretty, pretty amazing year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I think about what just happened to uh, all of us, I think like this, th- that's why books like this are so important. Contemporaneous accounts of what has gone, have gone, has gone on. Um, that, you know, none of us really have insight into what was going on bureaucratically within the administration. We sort of just saw like Donald Trump, you know, ask Dr. Burks on TV if we should inject light inside of our bodies. And everybody was like, I feel like this, this, they were not prepared quite for, for those moments. Um, but also we know, I mean, people understand that there are those figures of the people's names that we're just learning from this book, um, who some of them were doing the right thing. And some of them were trying to, you know, take this moment as serious as seriously as it, it, it needed to be taken because whew, we I, I just the scale of loss, I think, in the pandemic, I think we're, we're going to be processing for a really long time. Um, and we haven't begun to do that yet. Yeah, I, I mean, the the scale of loss was was tremendous. I I mean, it's it's pretty pretty hard to grasp. I, I think everybody knows somebody that was that was touched by COVID in some way. Yeah. Um, in terms of the last question I have is about misinformation, because one of the things that has been so frustrating to watch in the pandemic and living with a biologist, I can attest to this because my calm, very uh, you know mellow dad yells at the TV. You know, he used to, he used to yell more when they had the daily press conferences. Um, but but the misinformation was something that started right at the beginning. I mean, anti-vax, I think that predates coronavirus, but or, or COVID. But I think that the misinformation specifically around masking, um, around the ne- necessity of, of 
some of the mitigation measures that scientists were recommending, um, you know, and that sort of distrust. Was that something that was immediate? Was there a reason for that? Were there were there people in the administration who were like, wait, we need to be listening to Dr. Burks and Dr. Fauci? Like, when did it break down? Uh, the the pandemic response, you know, you know, I think Burks has recently come out on, on yeah. uh, and and talked about what she thought the toll of loss was at the administration trustful for 160,000 deaths, 120, I'm not sure. Um, you know, there was a period early in the pandemic when nobody knew what was going on. And you can't really fault the administration for that. <laughs> you know, even Fauci's like, maybe this thing's just gonna disappear by summer if everybody continues with their masking, okay? But the White House was very divided. And that's that's actually the, the real turning point in the pandemic, in my view, is around April, we had, uh, you know, 60 days to slow the spread. I don't know if you remember that program. Mm-hmm. And that's when things were kind of working pretty good. And Trump seemed to recognize this is a big problem. But there were people, mostly as economic advisors in the White House, were like, we can't shut down the country any longer. We got to we got to open this up. And then it became the the enemy is the media. Um, and we're not going to respect we're going to we're going to open the country again. We're going to let governors do what they want. Um, they can take the political hit if they want to keep their states closed or whatever, like New York and California and those those blue states out there. Um, and uh, and then um, we 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 ended up with sort of these masking protests. And, yeah. you know, even it, it became, you know, because because I think there there was a the president will wants to do anything that will get him attention and uh and he saw that, that, that there was a, a contingent of the American people that, that you know, didn't want to wear masks. So he wasn't going to either. Even right. if his health advisors, even if Azar, as you mentioned, a loyal, I mean, semi-loyal uh, member of the yeah. administration, he always wore a mask. He was very careful about it. He tried to slip in words about masks here and there uh, while also sort of saying positive things about his boss. They, they were in this complicated dance. And I think what I try to capture in the book is this moment when these people inside the administration saw that the public health messaging was going off the rails. There was no way to bring it back, no matter what the CDC said, the White House was going to do one thing. Oh, we just have to deliver these vaccines to the American people. Um, and that, that, was, that was what happened. Um, but did, you know, after all of this, here we are fast forwarding. We've seen how divisive that's left the, uh, you know, th- things. I mean, with respect to the vaccine hesitancy issue yeah. and, um, you know, so I, I mean, we, this country is ailing because of the, not just because of the medical toll of the pandemic, but because of the social, uh, you know, rupture that took place, right? Yeah, I feel, I feel that way every day. Yeah. Um, and it, it, I feel it. I think about it a lot because I, I feel like at the beginning of the pandemic, I sort of was like, wait, maybe we'll come out on the other side of this, whenever that is, um, you know, with a little bit more compassion for other people, because we all are sort of experiencing this trauma together. And, you know, I've never woken up thinking like, what if I died today? You know, that's like not a normal thought that you're usually having, but when, when COVID kills, kills, you know, your family members and you, you see people getting sick, those thoughts 
start creeping in. And then you're like thinking about the world a little bit differently. But I feel like I'm on the half of the, I'm in the half that's thinking that way. And then, as you said, there's this whole other half, they're not really half, but there's this whole other portion of the country that is thinking another way. And all of those tensions have, I think, been exploited, but that's just my editorializing <laughs> for for today. Um, unfortunately, we're out of time. I could, I have like 75 more questions, but um, maybe we could just have you back again um, because I, I really think this book is important. I think this conversation is important, especially as as events sort of do evolve because I think, you know, as booster shots come out, um, as as the fight continues, as a new variants pop up and we're having to learn the Greek alphabet the worst way possible, um, I think we'll, we'll be in need of your expertise. Brendan Morell, the first shot, um, the epic rivalries and heroic science behind the race to the coronavirus vaccine. And that is out now. And you should definitely read it because I'm basically reading every book about the pandemic because I'm trying to figure out what the heck just happened. It's still happening, um, but uh, but we're grateful to you for helping us understand how the scientists got us this miracle. Thank you so much for joining today. It's been great to talk to you. Thanks a lot. Happy to come back anytime. Thanks for listening to the Signal Poof podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with more news.